open up to 2 Corinthians 5. We're going to open up God's Word, and we're going to finish our series today that we've called Learning God's Presence. Learning God's Presence. If you remember, what we mean by learning God's presence is this fundamental tension in the Bible that says God is everywhere all the time, right? He's omnipresent. He created it. He's holy. He can be anywhere he wants to be, but that he makes himself uniquely and particularly available to anyone who desires to experience him. So God not only has an omnipresence, he has a particular presence, right? Now, the way in which we learn to embrace and pursue that particular presence is through something that historically has been called liturgy. Liturgy simply means a bridge, right? A bridge. In Jesus, God's presence, the presence of heaven itself, has been poured out into the world, and now we get to use our bodies through liturgy to practice engaging with that very reality of heaven here and now on earth. So liturgy practices through, let me see, how, do we, how have we been saying it? It just escapes me. Embodied practices. Oh my goodness. How do we say it? You guys. Just, it's been off the cuff for so long. Embodied practices. I don't know. We'll get it. It'll come to me. I'll shout it out in the middle of another sentence, and then you'll understand where it came from. Liturgy are embodied practices that teach us God's presence. Okay? Really simply. So, today, we're, we're ending our series. We as a church have adopted this simple five-fold uh, liturgy, these movements that teach us what it's like to, as human beings, as created people, to actually embrace God's presence here on earth. Today we are going to be talking about going with God. We learn God's presence in the focused gathering of God's people or in our personal time dwelling with Him, ultimately so that we would learn to go with God everywhere we are. Right? Um... Would you guys stand with me for the reading of God's word? Second Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to be in verses 16 through 20. It'll be up on the screen behind me if you don't have a Bible with you. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are present here with us, that in your coming, 
The kingdom of heaven is now at hand. Something utterly unique came in your incarnation that now we get to celebrate for Advent. Holy Spirit, we ask you to speak to us, to, to meet us, to teach us, to help us to put on a vision of life that does not assume we live in a God-deserted world, but that we live in a God-drenched world. That everywhere we go, we would be hopeful, we would be humble, and we would be eagerly expectant that you are with us. Would you speak to us now about this particular passage through your word? Help us to see that we go with you as your ambassadors. In Christ's name, everyone said, amen. All right, you can take a seat. Um, real quick, I, I skipped over this. Our, our liturgy, like I mentioned, five distinct uh, phases. We got a slide here. We start off with facing God, right? It's easy to be around someone without making eye contact with them. So too, we can approach God without making eye contact, allowing him to see us and we see him. We face God. Second, we embrace God. We actually stir up our hearts so that we would be moved by him and not apathetic toward him. Third, we listen to God. We actually submit ourselves underneath him as our creator and our Lord, and we hear from him. Fourth, we love God. Ultimately, our purpose is that we would live in a love, compassionate relationship with God, that he's worthy of our love. And fifth, today we are on go with God, all right? So that visually can represent it for you. We're going to continually harp on this throughout the weeks and months, and that makes up a lot of the structure of our gatherings, that we would practice this, practice the presence of God together. So we just read... 2 Corinthians 5, verses 16 through 20. Main point today, overall, the thing that I, I'm praying we would take today is that if we want more of God's presence in our life, we must surrender to God's purpose for our shared lives. If we want more of God's presence, that is his experiential reality, that we would know he's with us, not just that we would have heard that he is with us. We want more of his presence in our lives. We must surrender to God's purpose for our shared lives. I think that's here really clearly for us. Um, probably 15 years ago now, 13 years ago, uh, I got LASIK. Anyone here had LASIK before? One person. Oh, you guys, you're missing out. Uh, some of you don't need it, and that's the point. But um, I, was I had really terrible eyesight. And uh, my wife and I got this, you remember Living Social? Right, it was like Groupon, but if you share it with enough people and they buy it too, then yours is free. So LASIK's normally crazy expensive to get this the laser surgery on your eyes to fix your vision if you don't know what that is. And uh, we got this Living Social deal. I call them and I'm like, hey, I see this really cheap deal. <laughs> is this like the worst possible surgery? Because I definitely don't want that for my eyes. They're like, no, it's actually like the best one. It's the top of the line. So we go and we get LASIK. And after the surgery, immediately afterwards, it feels kind of like your eyelids have been flipped inside out. It's really painful. It's like scratchy. And you go home and they give you some sedative and you're just supposed to go to sleep. So we go to sleep. We wake up the next morning and open my eyes. And I was in a whole new world. Before I had really bad vision and even contacts, glasses, did not get me to the point at which LASIK brought me. I walked outside, and I was like, trees have leaves. 
this is crazy. I thought they were just green blobs. And then I lived up in Seattle at the time, and we were driving by downtown, and I could like look up at the skyscrapers and see individual windows. Some of you guys have always been able to see this stuff. And for me, it, it took until I was 22 before I could see with that kind of detail. It was astounding. It blew me away. Now, think about moments where you walk from like a movie theater. I'm talking about vision. You walk from a movie theater. It's dark in there. It's completely pitch black. The screen goes black. You walk out into the sunshine, and your eyes, just, they hurt, right? There's this way that you just start blinking, and you have to shield your eyes. That represents something really significant about eyesight. Going from like, we can't even open our eyes because of the brightness, to we have completely renewed vision. I had 2015 vision, actually, after I had LASIK, right? Like, better than normal. I share this because in the same way that I had a brand new vision in my life, coming to Jesus is not just about us learning what tangibly matters for us. He wants to give us a whole new vision for what our lives are about. So when, when we first say, all right, Jesus, I trust you. If you really love me, if you gave your life so that there could be no barriers between me living life with God, that's like coming out of that movie theater, walking out into the light, and having to almost shield yourself because it's too good to be true. It's too bright for our eyes to handle. But then our vision is not as clear as God wants to make it. That process of discipleship is this honing in of our vision so that one day we could look up to the top of the skyscrapers, we could look to the heights, and we could see the glory of God more clearly than we ever could in everyday life. God's presence and learning his presence is not just about us and our feelings or not just about us and our spiritual joy. God is up to something way bigger than us. And today and throughout scripture, we see these passages that try to lift up our eyes so that we would see not just what God has done for us, but what God wants to do through us. That's the vision that I'm praying God would give you today for your life, wherever he has you. Because here is a significant problem for you and for me. We tend to think that we are obstacles to God's work in our life. And I want you to know today that through Jesus and by the power of his spirit with his people, you are a strategy for God's work, not an obstacle. All he desires from you is your willingness. So can, at the start of this, can we just say, God, I, like, I want to set aside my hesitations to you being able to use me, especially in a big city like LA, in a volatile moment where there's so much division, standing with Jesus can feel extra intimidating, but God's bigger. And so if we could simply come with a posture to say, I, I believe that if all you need from me is willingness, I'm in. Every great movement from God started with humble receptivity to his will through his people, okay?
So what we see as we open up, let's look back at 2 Corinthians 5. In verse 16, Paul starts off with this peculiar statement. And you got to realize we're kind of jumping in in the middle of what he's been writing. So forgive me for starting here and not like 20 verses back. If I was Brian Ellis, I would have started 20 verses back and given you some better context. I talk too much for that. So we're just starting right here. If it doesn't exactly make sense when he says, from now on, therefore, you're like, well, what did he say before that? Sorry. What he's saying, I'll give you the summary, is in light of what God has done in the world. From now on, therefore, because of God's love for us, we don't regard anyone according to the flesh. I don't really like the clunky language that the ESV uses. The ESV is an amazing translation. Many other translations simply take that from the flesh passage and say from a worldly perspective. So imagine if this says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one from a worldly perspective. Even though we once regarded Christ According to a worldly perspective, we regard him thus no longer. Liturgy and learning God's presence leads you to a new vision of reality. That's what we're trying to put on with this new kind of spiritual sight for what God wants to do in the world. Paul, the Apostle Paul, he's acknowledging that God changes the way you see things. He says, I once thought Christ was just a false messiah who had come seeking to manipulate people so that they could lead people astray from the one true God. I considered him, he's saying, uh, a false messiah. Paul was Saul, this guy who persecuted the church. He hated Christians. He was oppressing them and overseeing their killing. He once regarded Christ from a worldly perspective. But once he saw Jesus, it didn't just transform how he saw Jesus as Messiah, it transformed how he saw everyone else. I once regarded people according to the flesh. Now, what Paul means here, a worldly perspective is a self-centered perspective. What the world wants you and me to do is just focus on ourselves. And so people become objects for us to pursue what we want. But when you see Christ's self-giving love, what starts to happen is you see the dignity, value, and worth of those for whom Christ died, and you can't use them for your own aims anymore. And so rather than persecute people, Paul saw the mercy that Jesus had for him. And that transformed the mercy and love that he wanted to give to others. So Liturgy is us learning a kind of other-oriented life. We're seeing Jesus, but we're putting on that kind of gospel, self-giving love that we would consider others more highly than ourselves. That's what the gospel does to you and to me. He continues on and says, Therefore... In verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. This is one of the most beautiful, simple verses describing the gospel in all of Scripture. If anyone is in Christ, 
I wonder when you hear the word gospel, what comes to mind? For Paul, one of the most common phrases in his description of what happens through the gospel is that we would be placed in Christ. In Christ. If you've been in the church for very long and you've heard a thousand different pastors, teachers, books say that, you're, you know, you're in Christ. If you have faith in Jesus, you are in Christ. What can start to happen is we just imagine that God sees us with the righteousness of Jesus as some kind of distant heavenly reality, but then we're just kind of here to live our lives, as though it's disaffected, it's not affecting our present world. That's not the vision that Paul had when he uses this language of in Christ. It's, it's really weird and stark. When you, when you think about the preposition, Paul's using prepositional language to describe a kind of relationship, right? In describes the, the, the correlation between two things. Well, how can a person be in a person? If anyone is in Christ, this points us back to the supernatural reality of the Christian life. When Jesus said, and I love that Caleb even wrote this in the liturgy for this, this morning for Advent, when Jesus said, it's better for me to go away than that I stay with you in the flesh, what he was alluding to was his ascension up to God and the sending of the Holy Spirit. In the sending of the Holy Spirit, God was sending accessibility to his very presence out into the world. So when Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he's saying, just as much as you are sitting here in Westwood, Los Angeles, you are sitting in Christ in the heavenly places. Heaven is a dimension behind what we can see. And the kind of displaced position that you and I have, you're sitting here in a chair, so too you are sitting in the very presence of Christ. If anyone is in Christ, what does that do? He's a new creation. You and me, by virtue of simply entrusting ourselves to Jesus, facing God, embracing him, listening to him, loving him, we are all together new. You are not who you were before Jesus because you have access to a different source. You're no longer captive to a worldly perspective that has a scarcity mentality, that feels your aloneness so pervasively that you need to look out for yourself. You are new. You live in the abundance of God's presence. So if you are in Christ, new creation has come as the literal language brings it. The old has passed away. And so if you are here and you feel like, I just can't see this kind of reality of God in my life, here's what I want you to simply take right here you have access to a completely different source. You have the potential by virtue of the simple littleness of your faith to living in a transformed vision for what your life could be. You have access. You are new in Jesus Christ. But here's what Paul moves on to really quickly. He says, go with me. He says, all of this comes because God has moved into the neighborhood. 
God has moved into our community. In verse 18, all this is from God. All of this, all this newness, all this work, your access to this different heavenly supernatural source to live a different kind of self-giving life is from God. Who, through Christ, reconciled the world to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. This is the how that gets to the new. All of this is from God. Guess what? A part of becoming a Christian is getting really humbled by the fact that you had nothing to do with your salvation. You had nothing to do with affecting your savability. All of it's from Jesus. We were running away from God into our aloneness. And Jesus moved close to us. That's what the incarnation is. One of the major themes of the incarnation is us running away from God, saying, I can do a better job of living my life than you can through all of your commands and your presence. And God's saying, all right. He walks around to the direction we were running to. He says, All of the gospel is from God. Salvation has been achieved through Christ. And Paul's language here, I think, is unusual language for a lot of what we've heard about the gospel because he says he's reconciled the world to himself. That God, no, notice, not is reconciling. I think we might expect him to say, God is reconciling, like it's a process. But he says, through Christ, he reconciled the world to himself. What Paul's saying is, every single barrier between us and God, our sin, our lostness, um, the ways that we have actually lived self-centered lives with the resources God gave us to love and serve others, right? There's accountability. There's actually judgment that looms over humanity because of its brokenness. Every barrier between us and God has been removed through Jesus Christ such that if any person would simply throw up their hands and say, I'm done running, they can be reconciled. This is, this is utterly transformative for the kind of hope that we need walking throughout a city like L.A. that can feel so far from God so often. To see that God has taken away every barrier between he and people if they would simply be willing to receive if they would simply turn to him. Oftentimes we think like God still has a lot that he needs to get over in order to accept people. When in fact, here Paul's saying, God, God has reconciled the world to himself. Essentially, history is going to be this reconciling coming together of the world and God and anyone who did not want in on that will just be left out. But like C.S. Lewis said, Hell is actually locked from the inside out. 
The only people who will not be with God for all of eternity are those who didn't want God, didn't want to receive the reconciliation. The incarnation is God coming near, moving into the community so that we could see reconciliations freely offered through him. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Um, if, if you think about the gospel, that is, the love of God, sending the Son of God in love, so that anyone who would desire to know God and turn from their aloneness, turn from darkness to light. What I, what I would hope for us as a church is that we would not primarily think of moral cleanness. Very common for people to imagine that the gospel just makes us morally clean so that God can accept us when we go to heaven after we die. This language, and, and Romans 5, and other places like this, lift up our eyes to see the bigger purposes of the cross of Jesus. Yes, sin had to be paid for. Trespasses had to be set aside. We needed the righteousness of Jesus so that we could go with all of our sin and baggage and get into the presence of God. But the point of justification, if I can use that word, if you know that word, if you're familiar with that word, the point of justification is reconciliation. It's so that we could live freely with God. And if you look back in this corner over here, it will be very obvious our need for life with God. Um, upside down, the coffee shop that operates out of here a few days a week put up this thing they called the String Project. They put all of these hooks down the wall um, on either corner, and they invited people who come into the coffee shop to take a string and to tie it around uh, four different hooks with corresponding words that they relate to. All right? Fascinating. And after, uh, I think it was two weeks, they went through and they looked at which words people related to the most. And then afterwards, they put up here most identified with a list of words, least identified with a list of words. Um, the most identified word was perfectionist. Ambitious, the second most identified with word. Adventurous, sociable, romantic, empathetic, and then anxious. That's what? <laughs> yes. We need to see perfectionist, ambitious, anxious, those words ring a gospel, a message of hope that says your life is up to you. Your life is what you make of it, which sounds so freeing, but anxiety is baked in. Because if your life is up to you, if you need to be perfect in order to live your full life, if you need to be ambitious so that you could achieve if your life is on your shoulders, there is no other alternative than anxiety and pride if you get there. 
because you built it. Reconciliation invites us to see that Jesus has been perfect in your place so that you could get into God's very presence and live a with God life so that you wouldn't need to be perfect anymore. You could be courageously loving and fail and maybe make mistakes of being too generous. Is anybody worried about being too generous? That God would actually backfill your needs because you've just said, you said more blessed to give than to receive. Well, I'm going to take you at your word. I'm going to give more away. My life isn't on my shoulders anymore. The gift of the gospel is not that our sins would be atoned for but that we would be but that through forgiveness, giving of Jesus' perfection, that we could get really close to God and go out into the world knowing God's for us, not against us. And here, Paul says, we've been entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation. Not just that God wants to be with us in our life, but that God wants, um, how can I put it more strongly? God only moves through his people by his spirit. An old preacher named Charles Spurgeon put it this way, and it jolts me when I think about it this way. He says, without God, we can't. All right, we're tracking. Without God, we can't. Yep. God's good, sovereign, powerful. But without us, he won't. That part probably triggers some pushback in us. Both. Wait, could that be true? But then also a sense of responsibility. But here's the thing. Courage can only be possible when we're taking a kind of, of responsibility that's actually dignified. God wants to so bring dignity and purpose to your life that you wouldn't be apathetic, that you wouldn't be purposeless, that you wouldn't be without conviction, that your life matters for something, but that it's not all on your shoulders. God has given you the message that God has moved to the community. He's here in love. He has mercy for days. No one's too far gone. But he's not going to tell people without you and me. Now, I know there are exceptions, especially when you look to, like, Muslim context. Jesus just appears to people in dreams. All right. Absolutely can. Most of the time does not. All right? He's entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. at this next verse with me. Therefore, verse 20, we are ambassadors of Christ. God making his appeal through us. The entrusting of this message of the gospel and the sending out of God's people into the world makes us something. Makes us ambassadors. Um, 
we probably have some idea of what an ambassador is, but an ambassador is someone who stands between two entities appealing to one for the sake of another, right? So nations have ambassadors to other nations, right? Um, and the purpose is to actually advocate for their home nation in the presence of the other place. So when Paul says we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, what he's saying is the place that you are currently is a place God has appointed you to appeal to those around you for his sake. You are nowhere by accident. There is no one who is just happens to be around you that God has not put there and that God has not placed you in the presence of for a purpose. But it's interesting to me that he says, God making his appeal through us. Um, you, don't, you aren't an ambassador by osmosis. Osmosis, the process where like water passes through something just happens to because it has to flow downhill kind of thing. Um, sometimes we can think that being an ambassador is just like, if I just behave really well without saying anything, people will drift towards Jesus. But Paul says, we've been made ambassadors and trusted with the message of reconciliation that we would appeal to people. Um, one of the really humbling uh, ways that God has revealed in me fear of man is the realization that people will not often come to you asking, where do you find your hope? People are not going to come to you most of the time asking you, how can I be saved? Um, we need to wear Jesus on our sleeve. And we need to invite and offer people an alternative way of living. That's what Paul says when he says appeal. So a simple question is, that, that just kind of makes us a moot point from the very beginning, do we actually believe everyone needs Jesus? We're in a moment and in a place where we're really starting to doubt. It's almost morally evil in some people's eyes to believe everyone needs Jesus. And Paul here is saying, we've been entrusted with a precious gift that everyone needs. And so you might know the right answer, but you might not feel the right answer. And I want to invite us to realize um, life that everyone was created for, the kind of eternal life Jesus talks about in John 17. This is eternal life, that they know you, God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. No one can experience the eternal life they were made for apart from Jesus. They might look like they have a happy, joyous life, but they've settled for, again, as C.S. Lewis says, mud pies when they're offered a vacation at sea. No matter where people's lives are at, on the surface, we don't have the life we were created for. We have the life of anxiety, the life of fear, 
the life of achievement, the life of perfectionism, until we see freedom in Jesus. We need to appeal as ambassadors to those around us. Um, I want to I want to give three specific handles because being an ambassador can sound really kind of up in the sky, heady, and there's a simple paradigm that we have used as a church for the last several years that I think is helpful to wrap our brains around and begin to imagine in our lives. I did not put it on a slide. I apologize. You're just going to need to pull out your phone, whatever you're taking notes on. It's three simple words that actually present kind of a pathway for how to be faithful with this ministry of reconciliation as an ambassador, all right? Three words, interest, invite, and invest. Interest, invite, invest. Um, the most simple one that kind of confronts us where we're at is we need to actually take interest in the people around us. How many of us don't know our neighbors? How many of us know more people online on social media than we do actually knowing the news that's going on on our block? Um, you were not created for your social media influence. That can be like a really limited scope, but you were created to be an embodied presence right where you are. And we need to actually take interest in people instead of looking past them. We want to be ambassadors. You will be shocked at the effect that looking someone in the eye and asking how they are doing, how you can help them, how you can pray for them, blows their mind. Because no one is interested in anyone else. And then, simply invite. Invite to gatherings on Sundays. Invite to game nights on Fridays. Invite to community. Invite to study the Bible. Bringing people along is a part of what it fundamentally means to be human. We all want to be invited into things, right? It's simple. All of us can do it. It's not just for extroverts. Maybe you've got three people that, that you have a relationship with enough that you feel comfortable saying, like, hey, will you come along with me? Um, and chiefly, we invite to Jesus. Wherever you go, people have access to Jesus right then and there. The most receptive that I've seen people when I'm playing basketball, uh, when I'm talking with people on the street, wherever it might be, people are so receptive to receiving the gospel. It's one of the most fundamental ways that we can invite people to experience Jesus and then invite them to receive Jesus by faith. Okay? And can we pray boldly for people? He doesn't need their faith in order to move in their life. When the, the guys came to Jesus and dropped down the, the cripple through the roof, he says, because of their faith, you have been made well. So we invest, or we take interest in people. We invite people, and then we invest in people. This is the summary of the gospel, of God's heart. It is more blessed to give than to receive. We live not considering people from a worldly perspective. We live with the abundance of heaven and God's presence in mind, and we're freely able to give ourselves away in love. We have a Messiah, a Savior, 
who came and laid his life down in order to plant the seed in the earth of the kingdom of heaven. And every time we imitate him by self-sacrificing love, we can be sure he puts his name on the line and it will not go to waste. Okay? Can we be a generous people? Self-sacrificing? I'll simply say this. I am so proud of our church, of the way that I've seen so many of you give yourselves in love for our neighbors, for other churches, for those around us in classes, um, the people that we pass by on the street that have needs. If that's you, I simply want to say it is seen, and it will not go without bearing fruit. Okay? Keep going. Keep going. As ambassadors, we take interest in people. We invite people. We invest in people. So much more could be said. We'll have training for, uh, for the church as uh, time goes by on how to do this more powerfully. Um, but lastly, we can't be ambassadors alone. Every ambassador is rooted in an embassy. The church, individual churches, are reflective of the big C church reality in the world. Embassies of heaven on earth. If it feels too big for you to be a representative of Jesus Christ, that's a good thing because you weren't intended to go it alone. You are, you are a part of an embassy going out into the world to bring people in, the, in the community of God in the church. They would experience a different way of living where they're not treated from a worldly perspective, but they're loved sacrificially, that they're prayed for, that they're supported, that they have people who take interest in their lives and invite them in and invest in them. This is the big vision of the body. The body of Jesus Christ is him working in the world. Do not go it alone. It won't be as fruitful as it could be in your life. It will be exhausting. Uh, you'll try and be everything to everyone. And I know a lot of us don't feel very much like evangelists. But you know what we can do? We can bring people in. We can invest in people. We can love on people. We can pray for people. Bring them into the community. And you want to know who's great at leading people to Jesus? To Jesus. Je Jesus is great at leading people to Jesus. And Jesus loves to use people he's gifted with evangelism. Those who just disarm others, non-judgmental invitation to change their way of thinking, to say, like, maybe I will consider Jesus. Doesn't all need to fall on you. So if we want more of God's presence in our life, we need to receive what Jesus intends to do through our lives. When we say face God, embrace God, listen to God, and love God, all of that is in some way, it's absolutely for us, but in some way, it is a formative process that sharpens our vision to see that as we go out into the world, God intends to use us. So that we would go with him. Oftentimes we can think we're going out alone and God wants us to see we are never alone. That we would simply take up a willingness to say, God, will you use me today? God, I'm scared. I know that there's this person that you've been inviting me to talk to about you, that you've been calling me to invite to the gathering. Um, would you help me today? Would you give me even an opportunity to witness to you today? 
and God will be faithful. We're ambassadors for Jesus. We've been reconciled into the very presence of God that we would go out and not go alone, but go out with him. Amen? I wonder if we think about 10 years from now, 20 years from now, I intend on the Commons LA being a church 50 years from now, God willing, 100 years from now. Um, what could God do through people in history to give themselves in love, to live as though Jesus is real and present and available to anyone? Um, Southern California, I've made this little kind of moment that I had where it felt like it clicked because it is, I've been on staff at a mega church and now at a little church and both in Los Angeles. It is, it is hard to see people come to Jesus in Los Angeles. Like, can we just be honest about that? The spiritual soil is very hard on the surface. But there are, mo there are a lot of moments where God has broken through hard soil and a geyser of heaven has broken and the Bible has struck. In the last hundred years, um, we saw the Azusa Street revival leading to the Assemblies of God. The Vineyard Church was founded in Southern California. The Foursquare Church was founded in Southern California. Crew, Campus Crusade for Christ, was formed across the street, I think in the 40s. How beautiful of God that a place that has so much to offer people to keep their eyes on earth and the beautiful sunshine, the ocean, that he would break in and bring revival repeatedly. Friends, that, that's just what we're praying for. That's what we're hoping for here. We don't want to grow merely by church transfer, pat ourselves on the back. We're praying for revival. And God has a history of doing that. And God has gifted us with an opportunity and invitation to go with him out in the world, trusting him by faith. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you that you are faithful. And we confess. It's really, really hard to imagine that you could use us in the lives of those around us to do something so radically transformative as seeing people saved, as seeing people go from death to life. But we've seen you do it. We trust you for it. And we see that your word calls us to